Eye on the Empire, episode 348. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. The authority is total. The authority is total. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. In an empire lies, the truth is treason. The truth is treason. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. By the military-industrial complex. I don't know about you, but I am always dealing with these clueless people on the internet and in my daily life. And I was looking to learn how to defend libertarianism. And if you're in that same position, you want to learn how to defend libertarianism, advocate for a free market, and win any political or economic debate, then you need to join Liberty Classroom. That's Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom. And you could do that by going to eyeontheempire.com slash liberty. If you do that, you'll be able to earn the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought and free market economics online for just 24 cents a day. That's amazing. Once again, go to eyeontheempire.com slash liberty. What's up, y'all? It's Ray, host of Eye on the Empire, bringing you another week looking at the news and events of the day and making it from a libertarian perspective, making sure that you are up to date on what's going on, uh, covering some good issues this week. I tell you what, um, I'm not even going to talk about the Trump impeachment trial or anything like that, because honestly, the dude's not president anymore. Um, I'm not worried about him. You know, he doesn't have power anymore. So, I mean, I guess he has some power over, like, influence over people and stuff, but he doesn't have the power to, like, wield the sword of violence of the government, you know? And I think that this is just a sideshow to keep an enemy out there for the for the political class because they have to have an enemy or else they're going to, or else they lose their relevancy, you know, and they've had so much relevancy, those, the Democrats and the political press and all of these people that have just been, um, dumping on Donald Trump for the last four years or six years, I guess, since he started running for president. Um, it gives them relevancy in a lot of people's eyes when they're able to show, the things that they believe Donald Trump is doing wrong, the things that he actually is doing wrong, the things that they, you know, theorize that he's doing wrong. All this stuff, it gave him so much relevancy over the last four years. I mean, even MSNBC, CNN, they started to see really good ratings over the last couple of years, the last four or five years, because of the Donald Trump phenomena. So, that's all that this is doing is giving the Democrats, they need a boogeyman because it gives them the relevancy that they, that they desire this. Um, they have control of the media. They have control of the narrative right now and they don't want to lose that. But I think that going down this road is just a sidestep of, or it's, it's to, it's to basically do, it's basically to have a thing that they're doing over here so they can do other stuff to you over there, you know? It's, um, that's all it is. 
It's like what a magician does. He's, you know, he's, he's sitting there doing the trick behind your back and keeping your eyes in a certain spot so that he can do the trick. Next thing you know, you're $2 trillion more in debt. Next thing you know, you have all of these different um, new programs and stuff that they're trying to push through, this agenda they're trying to push through. And, you know, Joe Biden's okay with them doing this sideshow right now because he's sitting there signing 10, 12 executive orders a day doing whatever he wants to do, doing what he's doing in order to get rid of all of the stuff of the Trump era, which, you know, a lot of that stuff's probably bad. A lot of that stuff is things that he, that Donald Trump shouldn't have done, like getting rid of the, this whole Iran, uh, this nuclear treaty with Iran that they had getting rid of like certain things that they're doing. But then again, some of the things that Donald Trump did with getting rid of a lot of regulations and so forth, those are good things. So I'm going to, I mean, I always gave Donald Trump a fair shake on this show. I called him out when he was bad and I, you know, and I praised him when he was doing good. And I'll do the same thing for Joe Biden. I can look at this thing from an unbiased perspective. Because I do sit outside the realm of politics from the Republican and the Democrat side, being someone who's a libertarian. But this is a sideshow. Whether it is in the Constitution that says that Donald Trump or a president can be impeached even after they were out of office, even if that is the case, it's still a sideshow. Like, it doesn't really matter that what they're doing. They're just doing it to keep themselves feeling re- relevant. And that's to me, that is distasteful. That is something that they are only doing just because, like I said, so that they can pass other stuff or the, so that it keeps the sub- focus on that rather than other stuff that they're trying to do. And what are some of those other things that they're trying to do? They're trying to pass a $1.9 trillion spending bill through the Senate uh, without 60 votes. And, you know, they, they couldn't do it because of the filibuster. They needed to get 60 votes and they can't get 60 votes for this $1.9 trillion bill. So then they're going to do it through... Um, some sort of other way. I forget what they, I can't remember what they call it right now at the top of my head, but they're trying to get that through and that way they could do it with just 51 votes and they'll get the 51 votes to pass it through. It's called budget reconciliation. And if they do that, they only need 51 votes, but then hidden within that legislation, this $1.9 trillion COVID relief spending bill, which $1.9 trillion, if you break that down, I mean, I think the number comes down to like $26,000 per person or something like that. Um, or it might have been $26,000 per family that they could have gave every single household in America if they really wanted to uh, spend $1.9 trillion. But no, these are handouts to everybody. These are handouts to their political donors. These are thank yous for voting for uh, Joe Biden back in November and donating to his campaign back in November. Like there is probably a ton of these little things in there because that's what politicians do. And then on top of that, they're sneaking in a $15 minimum wage over the next four years. If that thing gets passed as well. And I think Senator Joe Manchin is the president, the, the, uh, the Senator from well, West Virginia is saying, no, I'm not voting for that. Because if, if he did, I mean, it would devastate his state. And the main thing about a minimum wage, and if you want to listen to one of my shows, I think I did a show on it 
uh, back in the early days of this show on, on the $15 minimum wage. And let me guess very briefly go over what a $15 minimum wage does to the economy. First of all, a $15 minimum wage, when you, when you set a minimum wage at $15 an hour, that means what a business owner has to do is get $15 worth of productivity out of a person plus, so let's say $20 per hour out of, of productivity out of that person in order to keep that person on board at that job, right? So if you were going to invest $15 per hour into something, or let's say that would be about $110 a week or $110 a day, you would expect to get a return on that investment, right? You're not expecting to lose on that investment. If somebody is flipping burgers or if they're at a grocery store bagging groceries, or if they are even checking people out from the grocery line and that person does not bring in $110 in productivity, then that person would lose their job and it would get replaced by something that can do it cheaper and more efficiently. And that would be like a a machine, a self-checkout aisle or something like that, you know? Um, because nobody's going to hire somebody at $10 an hour if they're not given $10, if they're not producing $10 per hour. Now, Let's just say a grocery store is profitable, but the margins are tight. I can guarantee you that. Restaurants are profitable, but the margins are very tight. I can guarantee you that. Most restaurants and most businesses, after all of the expenses are out, are making 8 to 12% return, and that's it. Net return. Like, they're not making money hand over fist. So... A $15 minimum wage increases the cost of labor, which then in turn makes it so the business has to figure out other ways to get the same amount of sales out of less labor. So then they cut hours. Then they automate and so forth. And who does this hurt? Because the the professionals, the experts say, I guess the Democrat experts, I don't know, say, oh, there's no proof that a $15 minimum wage, or when you raise the minimum wage, there's no proof that jobs are lost, but that's not true. They've done the studies from Seattle, a city that decided that they were going to change the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and it's been horrendous. Like People are working less, so you get, you're getting 25 hours a week instead of 35 hours a week. There's less jobs. There's less opportunity for people that are looking for jobs and so forth. That's a, that's a fact. So if you did that across the entire nation, you're going to get a similar respect where companies like Walmart, Target, larger companies, they have the ability to suck it up for a while, right? They do. Actually, they encourage a $15 minimum wage. And the reason why a place like Walmart or Target or one of these, um, a larger restaurant chain even, maybe, might encourage a $15 minimum wage because it is good for them in the long run, because they're going to put their smaller competitors out of business because their smaller competitors are not going to have the capital available to automate the same way a company like Walmart will be able to automate. Like if you had a $15 minimum wage, you're not going to have any. You think the number of cashiers at Walmart is bad now? Imagine if there was a $15 minimum wage. You're going to have no cashiers at Walmart. Actually, I think Walmart already has a 
an average minimum wage or something like that of $15 right now. I think the way that they set it up is that, or it might be $12, I'm not sure, but there's already so few cashiers at Walmart. Everything will be self-checkout. Everything will be automated. But how? what other jobs are they going to get rid of at Walmart in order, or which ones are they going to automate if they can? They're going to figure out other ways to automate stocking of the shelves. They're going to figure out other ways to automate going to collect the the shopping carts throughout the throughout the entire um, parking lot. They're going to figure out ways to automate everything that they possibly can. Returns, even they might even figure out ways to automate the returns. They they're going to do something in order to lessen the impact of a fifteen dollar minimum wage on their company. But the smaller the smaller you know stores. The smaller restaurants, the smaller companies that do plumbing or whatever, they're going to have a harder time keeping up with these other companies because they're not going to have the ability to invest that money. They're going to have the capital. Yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be able to go out and get loans and take out those loans and stuff like that to automate, but that's going to lessen the jobs. It's going to close down stores. It's just the way it's, it's common sense, people. And I know that the Democrats know that. I, I don't know if they know that, to, actually, because I really think that in their mind, most people in their mind think that what they are doing, what they believe is correct. I'm convinced of that. Most people do not have a, you know, a hidden agenda on these things, but I wouldn't put it past politicians because politicians always have a hidden agenda. But somebody that's a firm believer in the $15 minimum wage they really think that the benefits outweigh the risks or the benefits outweigh the negatives on this thing. But I don't think that's true, guys. Because ultimately, if you have a $15 minimum wage, inflation is going to catch up to the point where a $15 minimum wage is, you know, effectively a $7.50 minimum wage. Like, that's what's going to happen. It will happen over time. Maybe not immediately. But you're going to have less jobs. You're going to, it's, it's a benefit to the larger companies and a hindrance to the smaller companies. And even more so, and this is the one that gets me the most, because this is the one that drives me crazy the most, is that a $15 minimum wage keeps a child, a kid, a first-time worker, an unskilled worker out of the workforce. My first job was under the table for like $1.75 an hour or something like that, when I was in fifth grade at a laundromat down the road from my house. The guy paid me. He was he was just a normal laundromat where you would take your clothes in to get them washed. It was a commercial laundromat where he did the laundry for like hotels around the area in Florida that I lived. It was a hospitality area. And I remember going in there, and I would just sit there and take take sheets from the washer and put them into the dryer, take sheets from the dryer and put them onto the folding table so that these ladies can fold them. And then that's what I would do all day long for like eight hours a day on Saturday and eight hours a day on Sunday. And I wanted to get a skateboard. So I did it. It was $1.75 an hour, maybe less than that. I don't remember. It was so long ago, but I did it and it was an unskilled job. And I, and I did it. Because I wanted to make some money to buy a skateboard. But 
those jobs are going to become more prevalent. That would be under the table type jobs in a environment like that. But the thing that would really get me is this, is that somebody who is looking for a job that's 15 years old or 16 years old, because I don't think kids can get jobs at 15 years old anymore. When I was a kid, I think you were able to get a job at the age of 15 at like Publix grocery store bagging groceries. Like there was a few jobs you can get and you can only work like three hours. So the child labor laws are already in place there anyway. Child labor laws have gotten to the point where most restaurants won't hire somebody that's under 18. A lot of businesses won't hire somebody that's under 18 just because of the child labor laws that go along with it. But if you're 16, you can find a job somewhere if you really try for $7.50 an hour bussing tables or $7.50 an hour working at the Sonic down the road. You can find a job making $7.50 an hour, and that's a good thing to do for kids to get them into a job like a kid does not need to be in a position of making $15 an hour starting off so that he can pay so that that person can pay the mortgage on a house or something like that like that is not necessary for for a young kid to do that they just need the experience that is the value of a first job is the experience it's not the money it's the experience it's the ability to say, I went to work, I was on time, I worked hard, I got a good work ethic, and I went home and I made a paycheck. And then when you're 18, you go to college, and you get out of college, and you worked through college for $8 an hour, $10 an hour, $12 an hour, whatever. You build up that experience, you get these management positions, you get into positions of responsibility, you become the person that knows what they're doing at that business. And then you could use that as a stepping stone to the next opportunity when you graduate from college. Or if you decide not to go to college and and you graduate from high school, but you worked for a plumber part-time for the last, you know, two years, making $7.50 an hour as an apprentice. And then they put you through some training where you can, when you're 18 and you go to some sort of school to learn plumbing, to learn what you're doing. That is the value of a first job. And those are going to go away for these kids. I swear it is. And that's going to be devastating to young people going forward. That is the tragedy in something like this. The inability for someone to get their first job as an unskilled laborer. So that's that's the sad thing about this. And they're sticking this into... The coronavirus relief package, something that is that political. And that just shows how big of a scumbags politicians are. On both sides, Democrats and Republicans, they both do it. It just happens that I'm talking about the Democrats now in this situation. It's hidden within the uh, coronavirus relief bill. So hopefully it does not get passed. I think that'll be devastating to businesses that are having a hard time right now as well. So, with regards to this Wall Street's bet, Wall Street bets thing, I didn't really want to talk too much about that. But the one thing I did want to say about this Wall Street bets thing, which if you guys don't know what it is, they it's this subreddit group that drove up the stock price of um, GameStop 
and cause some short sellers to really get screwed. And the short sellers are going to Congress and they're trying to get regulations passed and all like the big hedge funds, all of the big names on CNBC, they're calling for more regulation. Listen, listen, be careful what you wish for. When you sit there and talk about how terrible those people are for doing that or how great it is that they got over on the government or they got over on the Wall Street people or whatever, like we don't need more regulation in this country, guys, on the financial sector. All those regulations, be careful because when the government controls something, they will make sure that they regulate it and that they, you know, that just leads to corruption. Any sort of regulation ends up leading towards corruption. So that's all I really wanted to say on that. You just hear people calling for this regulation, and I think that's a terrible thing. Um, Masks are never going away either, guys. And that's something I wanted to talk about COVID, COVID-19. That's the last topic I'm going to really talk about today is this. Um, I do. I look on covidtracking.com just about every single day. And for about the last three or four weeks, you have seen the number of cases significantly dropping regularly, right? Like it's a downward spiral going down and you're seeing hospitalizations going down. This is good news. This is very good news. You're starting to see deaths, you know, they're making their peak down. They're slowly starting to go down as well. This is good news and they are trying to scare you. They are making you, they are trying to scare the people into thinking that this thing is not over. And I don't know if it's over. I don't. But you remember last fall, or excuse me, last spring, you had that spike in April, March and April. I think it was like late February, but that's when it really started getting bad in March and April. And then it was all downhill from there until about the mid-summer. And then it went, there was a spike in the middle of the summer. And then it went back down again. And then it started to spike again in October, November, December and into about January 7th, I think, or January 10th is when it started to go on, going down again. And that's normal seasonality of flu. You'll see a huge spike in the beginning of the season and it starts to go down. Or you'll see a huge spike in the middle of the season and it'll start to go down. It just depends upon the seasonality of that particular virus, of that particular flu virus. So that to me, I feel like we may have gotten past that. I mean, there's been 25 million confirmed cases in America. So let's just assume that 50% of people that get COVID, because I know that that's the number, right around 50, maybe 60% of people that get COVID never actually have symptoms. So most of those people that get COVID, half of them would never go to the doctor to get tested. I would have got it and I would have not, if I didn't know it, I won't go to the doctor to get tested. If I don't have a fever, I'm not going to go anywhere and not get tested. If I did have a fever, I actually went and got tested. And I came back negative. But they found 25 million confirmed cases. But let's just assume that half of those people did not go. So let's say that on the, let's say there's about 50 million people in America that have actually gotten COVID-19. And then on top of that, you're going to have, I think there's been about 25 million people that have gotten the vaccination already. So you're you're running up on 75 million people that are um that are 
effectively immune to this thing that they're not going to be able to spread it around. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's what is that a quarter of the population or so? So in that sense, one out of every four people you meet, you can't get COVID from. So you're getting into a slow herd immunity type thing anyway. That's got to be why we're starting to see things go down. It's not because of regulations. It's not because of a mask mandates. It's not because of lockdowns that all this is happening. Because every state that you look at that has had different situations of how they're dealing with this thing, South Dakota, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, California, Florida, like all of them have very similar patterns of how this thing goes up and goes down. It goes up for three or four weeks or a month or two, and it goes down. It's just the way that the trend is in each of these states, no matter whether they had lockdowns, whether they had masks, whether they had anything. It's just the way that it has been. So that being said, like I, I don't know that we're completely over this thing, that we might have a spike again in the summertime. Who knows? I think that it, it burns out in certain places and it goes around to other places and then it comes back to other places. Obviously, that's what, what's been happening in different states and in different cities. But um, I hope that we're getting past this thing. Now, the one thing that I know for a fact, though, is that masks are never going away. Masks are never going away. The reason why I say that is because if you're looking at what is happening with the flu virus right now, you're starting to see people claim that since we're having a slow flu season, it must be because everyone's wearing masks. And that being said, if that's the case that people are trying to make, and maybe people are speculating on the news, it's going to slowly change people's perception to the fact that, hey, all we got to do is wear masks and uh, flu will be negligible every single year as well. And so I, I don't think that masks are ever going to weigh. Like, you know how China, a couple of years ago, you would see people wearing masks in the airport. You see people wearing masks on the street on a regular basis. I think that's the case that's going to be in America for the foreseeable future as well, if not forever. And uh, that's stupid. That's completely stupid. I don't know that they've found that there's exactly any case to be made for masks to be worn all the time everywhere that you go. Um, I do know that if you're sick, it's probably, if you are physically sick, it's probably good to wear a mask if you're going to go out and around other people. Just because, like, it's the same thing as if you sneeze or if you cough and you cough into your elbow, that's a good thing because you're not spreading the germs around and all that. Same concept with a mask. If you're, you know, like, you're going to catch some of those larger droplets that are going out there, so... And the same thing if you sneeze into your arm, you're going to catch some of those droplets, but some of them obviously spray all over the place elsewhere anyway, but at least you're getting less out there. So that's the same concept. Um, but yeah, masks are never going away, guys. I am convinced of that. I am convinced of that. Um, hey, I appreciate you guys following the show. I really do. Um, I know I was gone for six or seven weeks, and I see a lot of you guys are starting to come back and listen to the show, so I do appreciate that. Um Share it with your friends if you can. I, would, I certainly would appreciate that as well because I want to get the show be- back to those numbers that we were at before when I was doing two shows a week. Uh, I remember when I was doing five shows a week, I peaked out at a certain amount and then I dropped it down to two shows a week. Uh, I peaked out to a certain amount of, of listens per week is what it was when I was doing five shows a week. It didn't peak out, but I stopped doing... I was going up in listenership, but I 
peaked out at a certain point whenever I went to two shows a week, the, the number of sh- listens per week dropped down. Um, but now that I'm doing one show a week, I'm hoping to get myself back up there again as well. Uh, when I started doing two shows a week, I started getting, you know, good listenership towards the end. I still have a lot of subscribers that are listening, but if you share the show, I appreciate that. I don't want to get into too many, um, I don't want to beg y'all too much, but, uh, I do appreciate those that have shared the show in the past. I also appreciate those that continue to listen to the show as well. Uh, five-star ratings and reviews are always helpful on your Apple iTunes or through Apple podcasts. Uh, that's always helpful as well. I uh, do have a website, IamTheEmpire.com. If you see your first time listening, you'll you'll now know about that. If you want to just follow some newspaper articles and stuff that I uh, share with you. And, you know, we're here keeping an eye on the empire, guys. We're keeping an eye on the U.S. government. Because they are looking to steal your freedoms away. And I'm going to try to keep my eyes on them so that I can keep you guys informed of the ways that they're trying to do that. And one of those is they're trying to pass this $15 minimum wage. It sounds great. It really does. But when the government does that, it is bad for the low-skilled worker. And that's the thing that I'm concerned about the most. Because if you want to help the poor, help them get help, help low-skilled workers get jobs. Give them a place to start. And that's the thing that they're doing to, to us right now, guys. I appreciate you, though. Uh, keep on coming back so you can have clear vision for 2021.